From the highways and the byways of sleepy Somerset in England, welcome to Spike's Podcast, where we reflect on the joy of running amidst the joy of life. Colors play, colors make my whole day. Well, good morning, everybody. It's um, Sunday, the, what is it, the 11th of September. And uh, just heading out around midday. So, so a little bit of traffic noise as we start. Um, just a nice, comfortable, easy run today. So hopefully, I should be able to record for you. Um, taking it easy today because yesterday I, I covered 10 miles. Um, actually on the treadmill which uh, slightly crazy really this this time of year weather's decent but I've been using the treadmill quite extensively over the last couple of weeks uh, firstly of course I'd say of course I don't think you'd realise, but my treadmill's been out of action for a while. Um, it developed a fault and kept blowing, blowing the circuit. Um, and I've got this interesting cycle of trying to contact people who might repair it. Uh, they were advertising themselves and uh, I got no response or well, strangely one chap who said he thought he knew what the problem was and quoted me for repair and I said great he's come over and trying to fix a date and it all went silent <clears throat> No idea what happened there. Anyway, um, uh, an early email to the manufacturer suggested the cause of the problem might be the main uh, motherboard, really. Um, and I found a company, a chap up in North Wales. Who, uh, who I could post the motherboard to and he would check it out and then quote me for repair if needed. So I did that. A relatively um, simple task, just to pop out the motherboard, of course. And then, I keep saying of course, for me it was a relatively simple task. Uh, he quoted a repair which was ah, quite a lot cheaper than buying a new board. Um, more importantly, he'd actually diagnosed that that was the problem. So yeah, back in the post and fixed. And then uh, into an interesting phase where I wanted to use the treadmill again to check it out. And uh, 
found actually that I was doing reasonably good efforts on it. Um, and it started me on a bit of a running streak. Uh, you know, which I've not run every day for a very long time. Despite a bit of noise. Uh, it's an ambulance making a bit of progress. So yes, I've now on my what would this be? 16th day? I have a running streak uh, and I'm really quite surprised how it's gone well in that I haven't felt overstressed in my knees or my other joints yeah no more than I would expect anyway uh, so you can keep it going for a little while I think I think um, the week after next I have a couple of days of instructing on a motorcycle motor racing track so uh, that will probably see the end of my streak but for the time being I'm enjoying it and uh, coupled with that as I said yesterday, push my mileage up in one run much, much higher than I have done in recent times. <clears throat> um, you know, I think some people would find the notion of 10 miles on a treadmill just so utterly tedious as to not be worth doing. Oh, I didn't mind it. Um, I did it in four kilometer segments. So for each of the four Ks, I did a, uh, a sort of different routine. It was either just a gentle hill work or Bit of speed work, uh, really more about altering speed and gait. So I think uh, 10 miles of constant pace, constant elevation would have resulted in, uh, in more stiffness today. Uh, anyway, that's me with my my running at present. Um, what other things were? Well, firstly, I had uh, had a response to my last podcast from um, from Tim Tim Cleary. Uh, I've been talking about politics and. Perhaps our view of American politics. So let's, let's just just hear Tim's words that he sent me.
Peter, this is Tim from Signal Mountain, Tennessee. Just finished listening to latest podcast, and it was certainly a pleasure to hear you back uh, on the airwaves again. Uh, I listened to uh, Jim because he's a beast of a runner. I uh, just marvel at what he is doing, the pace he has, and the amount of running he is doing these days. So I look forward to listening to his upcoming uh, submittals. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, the recent election and the vote to leave the EU. Uh, and certainly followed that pretty closely. Uh, sounds like uh, and it looked like the amount of dialogue internal to the country and the harsh views on each side of the uh, topic uh, mirror what we've got going on here with this upcoming election. You know, you, it is worth multiple, multiple podcasts of what's going on over here. You said it, it'd be the topic of one podcast. Well, there's hundreds over here debating this. And um, in my 40 years of voting, I don't recall an election where it's been so polarized and uh, really, there is no civil discourse uh, between the candidates, between the parties. It is just hardcore. You're either for one or, or really, right now, it's you are against one or the other. And unfortunately, the vast majority of folks are looking at this who is the lesser of two evils, which is just... Uh, sad commentary on who our political parties have selected and who of all the good people we have we end up with two that are this way so it's gonna make for very interesting next several months as we approach the election in november so uh what a mess so uh your uh, podcast is certainly a uh respite from all this and it takes me away while I'm out on my run. So thank you so much. Cheers and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Well Tim, I really couldn't agree more that the uh the kindness and wisdom and intelligence of discourse is sadly lacking. Um, it's it was it was lacking in in our country here through the the whole European Union referendum. Um, and it's not great now, but I have to say when I and I was going to say, when I look at what's happening in the US, I'm deeply disturbed. I suppose one point is that we only get to see the highlights, and some of those appear to be quite heavily, heavily edited. So uh, it may not be quite as bad as I fear but it doesn't look good and uh, 
you know, I understand from from Tim's view and and others that uh, neither candidate in the U.S. election has very much of a ringing endorsement from the majority of the population. But, uh, I have to say, I have to raise my colours to the mast here. I am very concerned at the prospect of Donald Trump being President of America. Um, I find the man oh, distasteful in so many of his views and just the way well, he expresses himself. He simply doesn't express himself very well in so many areas. I've listened to many bits of footage which may be edited but he appears to struggle to string a complete response together and he uses a lot of bullying tactics of uh, trying to overwhelm people rather than engage in a proper intelligent discussion. Now, that's only my view and I hope I haven't alienated thousands of Spikes listeners with that. Um, I'm pretty sure Spikes doesn't have thousands of listeners and I think that those of you who listen and know me well enough over the years that I express my views as my views um, I try not to offend but in this one case I find it hard to to find anything that would recommend Donald Trump to me in any way um, I'd be interested in some other views perhaps uh, I certainly don't think I'll be alienating my good friend Steve Ronner since various uh, pieces I've heard from him have indicated a similar dislike for one Donald Day J. Trump. Uh, right, so let's think about it. Well, this idea of discourse and uh, um, engagement with people. I'm interested in this notion from a couple of angles. Now one is uh, is the whole phenomena of social media um, and you know although you know, this podcast is 
is uh, effectively employing social media um, and I take great value of many parts of the internet um, I am on Facebook I'm on uh, Daily Mile I do have a Twitter account um, but I tend to be very cautious in my posts and responses because there seems to be no no kind of handbrake on the the way that people seem to react or indeed what they think is it's going to be acceptable for them to say you know if I disagree with somebody I would like to try to point out where my disagreement lies and and why I cannot align my thoughts with this other person now I do know you know I'm old enough ugly enough and perhaps even wise enough to know that it's not easy to change someone's mind and I'm not lightly to set out with that particular um, aim in mind but I do like to sometimes at least say well frankly no I don't agree with that but you know you have every right to think it I can't challenge you on your right to your own thoughts um, but I do disagree what we seem to get on social media is this you know from the first volley to the nuclear option in but a few seconds and people respond with vitriol and aggression and and downright hatred um, and you know sometimes the the initial comments are made in an inflammatory manner and it does tend to cite people uh, in their rageful response but folks it ain't it ain't helpful um, and I was reflecting on this the other day with talking with Gina and we've been listening to uh, well listening and looking at a couple of reports on the, the documentary film about Mary Decker Slaney and uh, Zola Budd who had that really unfortunate uh, collision during the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics when they were racing um, and and Mary Decker Slaney who was you know pretty much a favorite for the race um, crashed to the ground and her, her Olympic dream ended there and um, 
you know, typical of the media then as now. Uh, the cameras were all over the incident. The media wanted to get the first interviews and entirely understandably Mary Decker, Decker Slaney was uh, was really beside herself with with grief and rage you know two sides of one particular coin and um, you know I think I entirely understood her her response and yet looking at the incident I thought well you know people trip in all different races and uh, I couldn't see then that Zola Bud had been responsible for the incident they'd simply tangled feet um, and now you know d decades later uh, the two of them have come together to really just settle the matter in the history books and and both now have acknowledged that they were inexperienced at uh, running running a race in the pack like that and Zola Bud was was just 17 she'd been uh, plucked out of South Africa in the apartheid era and uh, in some rather unsavoury political manoeuvring Great Britain had, uh, had enabled her to run in a GB vest and uh, frankly what I still think are pretty dubious circumstances um, but you know she was an amazing talent but you know from from relative obscurity to center stage in a, an Olympic event you know she was in a poor position to be judging her race and making comment afterwards um, now I mentioned this in the light really of Tim's uh, piece earlier and the notion of discourse and discussion now it seems to me that you know we've it's been 30 years between the incident more than 30 years between the incident and this documentary coming out but these two women have uh, have come together I think in friendship to to kind of tell us how it was and how it's been and um, I kind of hope you know, that uh, that example of discourse is a good one and a hopeful one um, there was incident 
in the Rio Olympic it's just gone. Well again a lady a lady's race um where the uh an American and a New Zealand competitor tripped each other. And it's great to see them help each other and indeed you know really give up their race at that point to assist each other to the finish line. Um, yeah, people, all sorts of uh, slightly silly dictats and dictums, don't they? Like uh, losers come second and such thing. Well, do you know what? I will happily come second throughout my life just to be able to think back that most of the time I did my best and I tried to do good for others around me I know I haven't always succeeded you know I'm as guilty as anybody else of failing that particular benchmark but in the majority of my life I hope I have succeeded okay well also in the last episode we had um, Jim's great report on his uh, Racing the Stones event um, and that triggered another good friend of mine from the US David Foss so let's just listen to to one of David's episodes Hello, Peter and Spikes podcast listeners. This is Just Plain Dave from Southeastern Massachusetts, and I am calling in with a race report. Peter, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share this race recap on Spikes 2.0. I found Spikes as one of the very first. You and Fidipidations were the two podcasts I listened to first when I was training for my first couple of marathons. And I've found your words inspiring, and I really appreciate what you've put out there into the podcast on the interweb. Um, but one of the components of your podcast that I enjoy tremendously are the submittals from your friend Honest Jim. And whether that's a race recap from the Bristol Marathon or his most recent recap from the Running to the Stones Ultra Trail Race, I, uh, I really appreciated that, and I just wanted to offer up my my story, um, which I hope is, I hope it is similar in content, although I don't think I can compete in style. Um, you guys have just such cool accents. It's hard for, hard for me to compete. So I am providing you a couple of sound files. Thank you for stitching them together. Um, the first will be uh, a recap of my training. I did a, a recording on the day of my last, my last long run before the race. Um, I've recorded a couple of paragraphs that I read that other people have written about this race that happened on September 18th, um, because I don't feel like I did the best job describing the trail. And then I've recorded my race recap. So thank you very much for the opportunity to share my story. This is Just Plain Dave, and here is the first bit of my race recap. Actually, this will be a training summary. I am just finishing up my last long run before next weekend's trail marathon. 
I did a, uh, a nine mile run this morning and I'm finishing following it up with a one mile cool down walk with the canine. I would say, say hello canine, but she's very quiet. And uh, she is in happy sniffing mode. I have to chime in and repeat what some of you all have said, which is, man, this summer has to come to an end. The heat and humidity are just starting to wear people out. We've actually, I assume we've had it better in New England than most. Um, it's actually been bone dry here, so I guess we've had humidity, but it's just never rained. Um, anyway, today is Sunday, September 11th. My better half is finishing her 300-mile bike ride today, and it looks like we're going to get a band of thunderstorms, so hopefully, hopefully her cycling crew gets a very short overlap with the rain, like they get wet but it doesn't last long kind of thing. Um, the humidity here is, is right up in that high 90%. The air is just thick, and because of that, the overnight temperature didn't get very low. So I think I just did my nine-mile run, and the temperature was 75 degrees the whole time, like just gray and humid and warm but not roasting. But I am worn out. This was going to be an 11-mile run, and it became nine because I was just feeling sluggish. And when you're one week ahead of your race, those last two miles probably are not going to make a difference. And I could only make myself feel worse for today rather than calling it quits. So the loop that I run, I have an option of turning left and going an extra two miles or turning right and going fewer. And so I took the short turn. I took the road less traveled and I did the, uh, the nine mile route today. And I know that, um, many of my online and imaginary running friends, my virtual running friends, um, use the Galloway method with a very strict, or not strict, but a, a formatted run walk approach. And JD likes that 50-20, or at least he promotes the 50-20, 50, 50 seconds running. I assume it's 50 seconds running and 20 seconds walking. Wouldn't I be, wouldn't I be laughing if it was the other way around? Um, and coach Chris Twiggs is encouraging folks for the 130-30, so I assume that's 90 seconds of running and 30 seconds of walking. I, for my really long runs, both for training for my ultras earlier in the summer and today, so like on a hot, humid day, my default has been to go either run a mile and then walk a tenth or run two miles and walk a tenth. And for me, walking a tenth of a mile is about 90 seconds. Um, but I don't have any clock-based way to kind of keep track of that. So I just look at my, my Garmin and see that I'm at, you know, mile one, and I start walking, and then at 1.1, 1, 1 I can, you know, either push the lap button or not. So today I didn't push the lap button, so the time is all just kind of merged in there. Um, but that's the easiest way for me to kind of keep a run-walk approach. Really, I think it helps on injury avoidance and not doing the overuse injuries. So today I did that, that run a mile, walk a tenth, whereas yesterday I did a seven and a half mile run and ran straight through. This was my going to pick my car up at the shop and realizing that if I didn't get a hustle going that I was going to get there after the shop closed. Now, there's no real penalty in that because I've been taking my car to the same place for 15 years or taking the family vehicles to the same place for 15 years. So I could have picked up the car and dealt with payment later, but I prefer to actually, you know, pay for a service when I, when I get it. 
and, uh, and I like to talk to the mechanic and make sure I understand what was done and what the repercussions are. So in this case, I was very glad that I left the house just in time so that by running for 58 minutes, I got to the shop uh, exactly three minutes before it closed. And I'm sure, actually, since I had told the guy who runs the shop that I was going to be cutting it close, that he would have stuck around an extra five minutes um, because he'd rather see me than not. But, uh, but I guess so. In the world of my running approach, you know, some days are just running straight through. Other days I try to mix in a little bit of that run walk. Um, I did a couple of speed workouts this cycle through. And um, in general, I, so I didn't do one mile intervals um, like I did under Chris Russell's training plan a year ago. I have to admit that in this training cycle for this trail marathon, it's been really nice to, I mean, having a training plan with really good detail just tells you what to do. And so, you know, every Tuesday you're getting out and doing your, your speed intervals and you know, every Thursday is tempo work and every Sunday is a long run. Um, and every weekend I did a long run. So that I kept, kept that part of it, but it was nice to just have some, some variance variability. And, uh, so my speed work this time was mostly half mile intervals. I, uh, I decided that that was the way for me to kind of push really hard. Um, but then again, do like a tenth of a, a tenth of a mile cool down. So like that's either 90 seconds of walking or I might walk for a minute, then kind of a really slow trot to get my legs moving again for, for 30 seconds. And then, uh, and then dive back into the speed intervals. So anyway, I did a few cycles with, um, half mile speed work. And the other thing I did, and I know other people use this term too, but uh, fartlek runs where it's that, which just means speed play in some Scandinavian language. And, uh, but my, uh, my approach for that is just, since I have my watch set to just beep once every mile, that I'd run a mile and then just absolutely, totally intentionally change the pace. So, um, just, just using really round numbers, you know, maybe I'm running at an 8.30 pace and the next mile run a nine minute, and then the next mile run an eight, and then the next mile run as hard as I could and do a 7.30. And with the idea that you just have a really known interval, like one mile, so you can you get a glance at your wrist and know that it's almost over. Um, but that just kind of changing that pace, which means, you know, adjusting your cadence and changing your approach is a good way to um, kind of make a six or eight mile run interesting. Um, but without doing, you know, the, the walk breaks or without changing it in any other way. So I guess I will say that I am happy to be done with this training cycle. I'll have a sh couple of short, easy runs as, uh, as we come into the next week. But we are one week away from trail marathon called the Rock Hard Marathon, which coincides with the Freetown 50 mountain bike race. And... Uh, I'll probably do a summary after the fact, but for now, I'm concluding my summer's training season. In the process of putting together my race report for the Rock Hard Marathon, I thought that it would be good to share other, some other people's words about this race, um, because I don't think I do the best job of describing the trail. Uh, it's a trail marathon, a single loop, it's 26 miles long. Um, but I thought I'd, I'd share some other people's words. So this is from the, uh, I'll read just a few paragraphs. This is from the Rock Hard Marathon Race Director's website. 
The Rock Hard Marathon had its third running on September 18, 2016, during the Freetown 50 mountain bike race. In years past, this race was not open to the public. You had to apply to gain entry. The Rock Hard Marathon is not easy. It's not a boring, looped trail course. The Rock Hard Marathon is for experienced endurance trail runners, willing to endure a technical course dominated by mountain bikers and with feed zones as far as eight miles apart. We think it's pretty hard, but maybe some of you ultra folks will prove otherwise. Maybe not. So the marathon coincides with the mountain bike race. And here's a couple of paragraphs on the Freetown 50 mountain bike race. The Freetown 50 is a unique and challenging mountain bike race featuring over 50 miles of challenging technical terrain in the Massachusetts DCR Freetown Fall River State Forest. There's also a 25 mile race available and an 11 mile race. This event began as a quest to bring back the Big Bang, which was a race known purely for how hard it was. What has it has evolved into is a kind of race that mountain bikers travel across the country for, except that it's in our own backyard. If you're looking for a long mountain bike race that will challenge your endurance as well as your technical skills, then you've come to the right place. Freetown State Forest is known for an abundance of rocks. Big rocks, small rocks, medium rocks, there's plenty to go around and over. This race will test your endurance and your mountain biking skills. When the Freetown 50 spits you out across the finish line, you'll leave with a sense of accomplishment that you could only get when you've pushed, been pushed past your limits. This is written by the, one of the women who won her category of the 50-mile race. Her name is Karen Potter. Her sum, this is her race summary for the 2016 Freetown 50. The Freetown 50-miler is not for the faint of heart. It exists for those who eat technical trails for breakfast. The course is two 25-mile laps, it's really 26, two 25-mile laps loaded with rocks, more rocks, roots, more roots, oh, and even more rocks. It will test the best full suspension cross-country bike to the limit. Dirt road sections are a welcome sight to the racers, so you can rest your hands, stretch their backs, get a drink of water, and stuff some food in your mouth. It's such an unrelenting course that even wearing a hydration pack, it's difficult to drink. But if you ask, most of the riders will tell you the Freetown 50 is an absolute blast. Each year, the course has seen significant changes showcasing the vast trail network in the Freetown State Forest. The beginning and end of the course have mainly stayed the same over the years and are also arguably the most technical sections. Several lengthy rock gardens mess with even the best riders. In this year's course, the middle section was described as being smoother, flowing trails. And while some of it was, the vast majority was very tight single track, requiring constant focus. It was still plenty bumpy with lots of roots and some rocky sections, but not as chunky as in the earlier sections. This middle section of the route is roughly a four-mile non-stop single track called the Gem. It snaked around, up, and down a small hill. It had short, steep, punchy climbs, which made up most of the elevation in this otherwise fairly flat course. It felt endless. Finish times for the entire race were the longest this year, despite super dry conditions. Now here are a few quotes from other people who finished the 50, Freetown 50. Quote, the Freetown 50 has it all, rock gardens, burned turns, and amazing tacos. Tom called this mountain bike a race that takes a 120 millimeter trail bike and makes it into a, mount, a racing bike. Paul Curley called it the mountain bike version of Paris-Roubaix. 
and the winner of the overall race, the 50, Freetown 50, Noah Toutfest, called it the hardest race of the year. The race directors ask, are we the hardest 50 miler in the country? Maybe, and maybe that's not a bad thing. There are plenty of easy races out there, putting you on the same seven mile loop for multiple laps on sweet, sick, groomed single track. But like those, we like those races too, but at the end of the season, bringing you a challenge is our mission. Now we just have to make sure that you're having fun while you're getting your butt handed to you by our course. About a few hours after the Rock Hard Marathon finished, the race director sent out this short recap. And it was titled, New England's Toughest Marathon. This year, it lived up to the title. The finale of the Rock Hard Marathon lived up to the title of, the, of New England's Toughest Marathon. Thanks to a hot and humid weather, the new course was ultimately more challenging than we thought, and a misplaced feed zone that left many of you looking for the next one, which didn't exist. To say that we're impressed with your tenacity and strength and your will to endure, that's an understatement. You are the toughest runners that we've ever encountered, and while we're sad that this will be the last year of our little big race, we are grateful that we get to spend it with our small band of midfits. Your belt buckles will be in the mail this week. Wear them proudly, because you earned them. So after sharing other people's words, this is my race recap. The Rock Hard Marathon, September 2016. The event was really a mountain bike race. It's the Freetown 50. The bike races range from 11 to 50 miles long, with the 50 miler being the premier event. There were about 150 cyclists out on the trail. The Rock Hard Marathon was added onto the event three years ago, but due to low registration for actually for all three years, the organizers decided that this would be the final running of the trail marathon. Of 10 registered runners, only seven towed the starting line on an unusually warm Sunday morning. It was 74 degrees Fahrenheit at, 9, at the 9.15 a.m. start, and the temperature settled into the low 80s for most of the day. The humidity was over 90%, and there were scattered rain showers late in the afternoon. I'll skip to the conclusion. I missed this win by three and a half minutes. I finished in second place. Now, remember, there are seven runners. I had, but I had no idea that I was even close to the winner while I was out on the course. I had last seen the lead runner in the very first quarter mile of the course. He went out pretty fast, and he disappeared into the single track trail. He was going a pace that I didn't plan to follow. Apparently, with scoring dollars, he faded dramatically. According to observers at the finish line, he was in the drunken stumble for the last couple hundred yards, and he was actually helped across the finish line by emergency medical technicians. I, however, went out at a moderate pace for the first half of the race, really trying to marshal my resources. I faded as well, but my fade was less dramatic than the eventual winners. And according to those same observers at the finish line, I looked strong at the finish. My fuel tank was nearly empty. I knew I was running on fumes, but I had successfully completed my race. If I could have trusted my Garmin with respect to distance, I may have picked up my pace for the last couple of miles. Ironically, my GPS track finished at exactly 26.26 miles, pretty darn close to a perfect marathon. But due to the zigzaggy, curvy nature of the course, I really didn't know how far I was from the finish until I was less than a half a mile out. I didn't know the area trails, and I couldn't hear any of the festivities around the finish area. And because I hadn't seen another runner for four hours, I had no idea that I was making up ground on the eventual winner. Because there were only seven finishers, I'll do a really short summary of the times for the finishing folks. And I'll just use round minutes without any seconds. 
So a guy named Mark Weldon won the race in four hours and 47 minutes. I came in second at four hours and 50. Another guy named Mark and two, two guys, Mark and Jason, finished an hour behind me at five hours and 59 minutes. A guy named Kenny finished at six hours and 58 minutes. And then the last two runners crossed the line together in seven hours and 45 minutes. So there's roughly an hour spacing between the clusters of runners. The course was approximately one quarter fire roads. Those were wide, and ro but rocky and dusty. And frankly, they were really kind of jagged and angular rocks. So the mountain bikes could kind of cruise on those roads, but for runners, it was still tough on your feet. And three quarters of the course was technical, rocky, single track mountain bike trail. The race directors have used a different route for each of the three years of the event. And they anticipated that this route would be difficult, but as they've said, it was more difficult for both cyclists and runners than they had expected it to be. This course would be challenging to run in good weather, but it was hot and very humid. The sun burned through just enough to get the temperatures above 80 degrees, and it was really humid. There was almost no wind. Portions of trails are of the trail are called the Demotivator and the Rock Garden. These areas were incredible, 90% rocks with insignificant sand and soil in the gaps. There were not clear running tracks, and I saw cyclists carrying their mountain bikes across these areas. I would usually try to stay near an edge, but it was really best to just tiptoe carefully through these areas. They were not made for speed. The most important thing to do was to avoid falling or twisting an ankle. There were just no flat or soft surfaces. Any fall would have, been, would have resulted in cuts or bruises or worse. Trail running is fun, but some of these sections were 300 yards long, and the focus needed to stay vertical was intense. I ran with the guy Mark for the first two miles. Then he decided to stop and I'll say, check out the backside of a tree, which may have him just been politely trying to ditch me. A couple miles later, from roughly four miles to six miles, I caught a glimpse of and chased down Jason. I had him in my sights, and it was actually really motivating to keep him 50 yards in front of me. When he and I had chatted at the starting line, he said that his training this time around, his, his training season, wasn't as solid as, as in years past. And we both knew the weather was less, less than favorable. We both talked about five hours being a reasonable time go goal. Two years ago, he won, run, won this race in a time of four hours. Last year, he had won, came in second or third place with a time of four hours and 22 minutes. Since they used a different course each year for the running of the Rock Hard Marathon, the times are not exactly comparable, but since he had previously run in four hours and four and a half hours, it seemed like five hours was going to be a reasonable goal. I'll jump to the, pace, the, the finish here again and say, so this person who previously won in four hours finished in five hours and 59 minutes this time around. At the six-mile water stop, however, Jason was taking his time and hydrating and fueling. He also regretted having worn a black shirt, and he was feeling really hot in the sun. So he decided to ditch his shirt and slather on some sunscreen. He suggested that I head out on my own. I had been running for just over an hour, and little did I know that that was the last time I would see another runner on the course. I had f almost four hours to go. There were only four water stations on the course. We knew this ahead of time. The race director said that they would be at 8 miles, 16 miles, 21, and 23 miles. But they were really at 6, 12 and a half, 21 miles and 23 miles. If the longest distance between water stops was supposed to be eight miles, and if I ran a trail race at a 10 minute per mile pace, 
Then I knew that I could go for, with my 24-ounce water bottle, my handheld water bottle, lasting me about 80 minutes. That was longer than ideal, but survivable. However, the gap between 12 and a half and 21 miles was brutal. That took me an hour and 50 minutes, 110 minutes, which is a full half an hour longer than I thought I would be on the course between water stops. I carried and refilled my 24-ounce bottle at each station, and I know that on a warm day, I drink about 24 ounces of water in an hour. Two hours was far too long to go on just one bottle. That error in distances was both a psychological and a physical problem. When I got to the first station, my watch said 6.2 miles. But since the race director said the aid station would be at 8, I thought maybe I was pretty close to 8. I thought, I feel really great for being one-third of the way into a marathon. And when I got to the second water station, my watch said 12 and a half. But based on how I was feeling and the time I'd been on the course, I thought I must have been closer to 14 miles. And still, if it was 14 miles, that would mean I was more than halfway through the race with only seven miles to the next water stop. And seven miles, 70 minutes, no problem. But in reality, the second water stop was at 12 and a half miles. And I was about to pound out 110 minutes during the hottest part of the day. It was just brutal. I, was re I realized then I was pushing myself beyond my limits. In a section of the trail called The Gem, there were a dozen switchbacks where I could see cyclists in the woods. Cyclists I knew had just recently passed me. And with all these tight turns and switchbacks, I was thinking that my watch was just understating the distance. It would be easy for the GPS to miss some ground. It often does that on trail runs, where if I go out for what is a, a 10 mile run and my watch only says nine. For a good hour, I was trying to do calculations in my head about pace and distance. The only number I knew for certain was my total running time. And if my training was sound, and I thought I was targeting a five-hour finish, I could estimate how much course was left. But the location of those first two water stops had me confused about how far I had run, and I really could not get a sense of how far I had left to go. The part of the trail called the Gem really did look gorgeous to ride on a mountain bike. It was beautiful, with arcing, swoopy trails. It's going up and down and up and down. But the trail was really just loose sand between the rocks, and it was dusty and dry. I was hiking up the hills faster than the mountain bikes could push their bikes up the trail. I would leapfrog past a couple of bikes, only to have them swoop past me on the next descent, and then we'd repeat that process. It really would be a cool place to ride a mountain bike if you didn't have to ride 15 miles of trails to get there and I was desperate for water. I ran out of water around 18 miles. Since I couldn't trust the accuracy of my GPS, I had no f idea how far I was to the 21-mile water station. I had slowed down, and I was now averaging closer to 12 minutes per mile pace. I was feeling a little desperate and had to assume that it would be more than a half an hour until I got to water. I realized that I needed to conserve my energy and resources, and at that point, I opted to scrunch up my shirt and suck the sweat out of it. I got a few mouthfuls of disgusting, salty, sweaty water. And given how dusty the trail was, I probably consumed a lot of trace minerals and who knows what kinds of microbes. This is clearly not an ideal race strategy, and I don't recommend it for others. At that point, however, I knew I needed salt, and it was my only option. With the exception of sodium imbalance, I did pretty well for fueling. I ate a couple of Lara bars, a couple of goos, and a PB&J sandwich, that's peanut butter and jelly, at 12 and a half miles. I had two nun tabs, so I had electrolytes in my water bottle for the first two thirds of the race. 
but I was getting low on sodium and I knew my electrolytes were a little out of balance, starting at 18 miles. I had minor edema, which is that swelling and stiffness in your fingers and your toes. It was really only in my right hand, but I, could, I knew what I was feeling, and so I mixed in strategic walk breaks, which gave me extra time to suck on my shirt. I was evaluating my biological systems every few minutes. I did not want to take a tumble and get injured. Besides the edema in my right hand, my only other real concern was a minor headache in my temples. I knew that feeling was another symptom of dehydration which was another issue I'd have to monitor. After the 18-mile mark, I walked most of the inclines. And at this point, some of the faster 50-mile cyclists were passing me. As a rule, they were courteous. I was a little concerned to hear the worried tone in their voice when they asked how I was doing. They looked hot, sweaty, and beat up, but they were clearly concerned to see how I looked. That really wasn't encouraging. The last two water stations were unmanned stations, just gallon jugs of water at the trail edge. The race directors had to put a poster, poster with the, uh, the Star Wars character Yoda, and it said, hydrate you must or die you will. That poster was at the 21-mile water stop, and now that I was refilling my water bottle, I knew that I would survive. I was still worried about electrolyte imbalance, but I wouldn't be dehydrated. I drank about 12 ounces of water and refilled my 24-ounce bottle. I still continued to walk all the inclines, but I could now run at a safe pace on all the flats and all the descents. Here's a short aside. When I, when I, talked, to, um, when I talked to some of the other runners at the finish, I learned that the jugs of water at the 21-mile water stop ran out um, about an hour after that I passed through that area. I just can't imagine how discouraged they must have felt having trudged almost nine miles from the last water stop to find that they couldn't refill their water bottles. Based on their finishing times, they must have spent much of the second half of the race walking. As I was finishing the last few miles of the course, almost all of the 150 mountain bikers had passed me. The rule of the race was cyclists have the right of way. They were coming up from behind and they had momentum and they couldn't expect it to be stopped to safely stop quickly. I really didn't mind stopping and stepping off the trail, but sometimes I'd be in a rocky, jagged area and I'd have to jab in, run, jump into a jagged, prickery bramble to avoid the cyclists. Oh well, that was the rule of the road. I never fell. I had three big stumbles, and at one point I kicked a root in a way that really bruised, severely bruised the middle toe of my right foot, but that was my only injury. In the end, this was a battle of perseverance. I recognized my medical symptoms and I managed them along the way. A number of the bikers asked me how I was doing. Usually I was walking up an incline that probably didn't even feel like a hill on the bikes. The cyclists were hurting too. Most of the 50 milers were passing me in the last hour of my run and they had worked equally hard in their four plus hour race. At one point, the woman who won the overall 50 mile race pulled up next to me and asked if I was okay. She asked, I have cookies. Would you like some? I told her I was okay for calories, but I could use some sodium. She offered me Gatorade, but I was reluctant to switch elect electrolyte drinks midstream in the race, and at that point I had water. She went on her way, and I pounded out the last four miles of the course. I finished relatively strong. In the end, I averaged 10 minutes a mile pace for the first half and 12 minutes per mile pace for the second half. I successfully marshaled my resources during the second half of the race with walk breaks and strategic cursing at myself for not bringing salt tabs or extra nun electrolytes. 
In hindsight, I could have been more self-sufficient. I could have carried a second handheld water bottle. I had a second handheld water bottle in my car, but when the weather at the start was overcast and rain was in the forecast, I decided I wouldn't need a second bottle. I could have worn my Camelback backpack, but I decided it was a bad idea to wear it when I hadn't trained with it. So in the end, I pounded out the hardest race of my life, really the hardest run of my life. In May 2014, I had a DNF at the Providence Marathon. But on that day, I ran great for two and a half hours, and then I crashed and burned. I hit that wall, and there was no way I was going through it. The result that day was bad, and I did spend a miserable 30 minutes throwing up and rehydrating. But the actual 20 miles of racing that day, that didn't feel grueling. In May 2016, I did a 50-mile ultra, and that was hard. But it went smoothly. Fueling and hydration were never in doubt. In fact, I felt like I was eating nonstop during that race. The 50-miler was a mental challenge, but I never felt like I couldn't or I wouldn't finish. And in fact, part of that was that I ran with people for that whole 50 miles. There were people that I could talk with the whole way. And those people were, we were talk, talking about our physical conditions and cross-checking each other. And that, I think, was one of the biggest challenges at the Rock Hard Marathon, is that I ran for over four hours by myself. I've run a couple of looped 50K trail races, and those had challenging aspects, including really significant elevation changes. But on a looped course, you have frequent access to aid stations, hydration, and fuel. The Rock Hard Marathon was a different beast. It was a personal challenge. I really had to stay within myself, and I had to learn from my past experiences in order to finish strong. I'm not the only participant, both runners and mountain bikers alike, that concluded that this was the hardest race of the year and perhaps the hardest race of their, their careers. It certainly was mine. Now here's an aside. I mentioned that the race winner beat me by three and a half minutes. I have to say, I'm not sure how I feel about muling. Muling is when you have a runner or a racer has someone else carrying their supplies for them out on the course. The winner of the race, of my race, the Rock Hard Marathon, was friendly, and he approached me after the finish. I realized that I hadn't seen him carrying a handheld water bottle. It was just him out there on the course in his racing singlet. And that's when he introduced me to his mule. A friend of his who rode the route on his mountain bike, didn't ride the whole route, but kind of hopscotched around, providing Mark the winner with water and food. No big deal, right? Hmm, something for me to think about. He said his friend had been his, quote, water boy on road marathons, too. Now, I have to admit that if one of the mountain bikers had just handed me a bottle of water at 18 miles, I would have accepted it with a great big thank you. I'm not sure I would have let them carry it for me, but I would have taken that water bottle and I would have sucked it down. But in my book, running a trail race means being self-sufficient. So having a mule, is that right? Is that wrong? Is it a big deal? I don't know. He won $100 for winning the race. My second place finish earned me 50, so there's a little gap right there. But I can say for certain that if I hadn't gone 110 minutes between water stops, I probably could have run faster. But I'll sleep well tonight knowing that I did the whole race on my own. I learned a lot more about myself. I learned about my physical limits. I learned about how my body works, and I ran my own race. Finishing strong and healthy was my primary goal. Beating five hours was another, and I'm excited that I accomplished that in spite of the weather.
I pushed my limits, but I'm a better runner today than I was before the Rock Hard Marathon, in spite of my ugly bruised toe. Now, although it's too bad that there won't be another race at the Rock Hard Marathon next year, it does give me the opportunity to go and find another challenge. What do you know? Maybe I'll take up mountain bike racing. So thank you for letting me share my race report. It really was a cool and exciting event. And with that, this is Just Plain Dave from Southeastern Massachusetts signing off. Okay, so that was just such a, an enjoyable insight into, into ultra running, really. Um, I think ultra events are, are just really good for the, you know, the, the middling club runner who uh, is never quite going to have the, the zip of speed to, to win over shorter distances. But often with age comes the, uh, the wherewithal to just push out a really good performance at ultra distance. Um, you know, I was in my late 20s when I started and I was just 30 when, uh, when I had my best, best ever time. But I kept ultra running for quite a long time after that. And yeah, indeed the last, uh, the last distance I did um, was a 50K. Um, well, part of me thinks I'd love to go back to it again. I sometimes wonder if I, if I could. Um, and yesterday I was on the treadmill for what an hour and 23 minutes and uh, I came off I thought well you know, that's a third of 50k done um, I wonder if I could actually do the 50k <laughs> well I don't think I'll do it on the treadmill I think that would just be a mental effort too far. <laughs> um, so the other thing I must talk about, because it has occupied a big and delightful space in our lives just recently, was, um, was Gina's 60th birthday last weekend. 60 on um, Friday the 2nd of September and uh, we had a, a large dinner party uh, the following night with 40 or so family and friends um, and it was just a great fun 
delightful weekend. Uh, Gina's children had gathered. Um, Bruce was here and uh, Frankie was back from China for a while, sorting another visa out. Um, Jenny and her husband and daughter, they came down from Cambridge. And that just meant we were missing Stevie over in Australia. Um, and Gina had it kind of rationally accepted it was too far for her to come. Um, yeah. And uh, she, Gina, had convinced herself that having Stevie here when so many others were here would really, well, in almost a sense, be wasteful because she would only be able to share her time with Stevie rather than focusing her time on her. Well, of course, unbeknownst to Gina, Stevie was planning to be here. And uh, Friday morning, uh, just before lunch, the doorbell went and uh, we contrived to get Gina to answer it. And there was a glorious moment of absolute delight when uh, Gina saw Stevie on the doorstep. You know, it was great to have everybody there. And that was just in its way, the cherry on the top of the cake. Uh, uh, by Sunday, we were all pretty tired, I think, but uh, just had a sort of brunch barbecue in our yard and uh, Gina was delighted to be able to celebrate just a little bit longer with some of the people attending that event too. So, all in all, a hugely memorable occasion for my lovely and truly delightful wife. Okay, well that's it. Uh, a nice easy run. Perhaps around 10 minute miling. Didn't actually have the, um, the stopwatch on today because I know if I do it always makes me run a little bit harder. So today it was just just go out with the microphone let that be the judge of my pace. I hope it hasn't been too much of a huff and puff fest for you uh, but I'd have to say thank you very much indeed for joining me on this run. It's always a, a delightful feeling to be running along um, imagining others listening to my words while they're out in their locations um, and really you know I, I love getting uh, messages and little audio clips from people 
and I'd love you to, um, if you had time, just record for a few minutes on your run uh, around your local area and describe what the view is like for you and the weather and and just describe where you live a bit. Um, it's particularly lovely when I can talk about particular people by name on the podcast and uh, kind of brings my sense of being in touch with them that little bit closer. So very happy to hear anything from any of you. Um, my email address, as always, is spikespodcast at gmail.com and um, I have never yet, I don't think, failed to respond to an email or comment from people. So I'll be delighted to hear from you. Okay, the folks are coming to the front door, having just had a little walk around the block there. And um, a point where I say, it's been a pleasure to be with you. And I hope that you continue as always to run and love with joy.